Would you even just go before him and in your own words describe his holiness to your own heart? Would you allow him to be fully who he is and that is unlike any other? Oh Lord, for all of eternity we can sing holy, holy, holy and never tire of its depth of understanding to our heart. For Lord, we know what unholy is like. And until we met you, we had no idea what holy was. But because of you, because of your only son, giving his life for us in complete perfectness, bearing forth the perfectness and the completeness of our sin in its full, you have afforded us something to know that we did not know before your righteousness and Lord you didn't just let us know it from a distance Lord we we know it personally for Lord we stand as believers and followers of you in this place today not as ones that just talk about your righteousness but Lord you allow us to live and be dressed in your righteousness alone so we say thank you we say all praise to the only one who is holy, holy, holy. And yes, Lord, may these works praise you for that. But Lord, may our tongue declare with clarity and consistency and conviction that it is you alone that we worship. You alone. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It is so good to be back in his house again. And this is his house, right? This is his house. And we are actually in a really interesting moment in time on this Sunday because I believe that this Sunday represents the two-year anniversary since we have been inside of this space renovated. Can you believe that? Two years. It's okay to clap. There you go. And, uh, And the Lord has done so much in those two years, right? And whenever I say the Lord has done a work or done something, we understand that the greatest work that he does is inside of our hearts, right? It's not the things, it's this, it's the new creation part. So I would love, just as a curiosity point that we can give him honor and glory, I would love to see the hands of the people that this is the only place at First Baptist Merritt Island that you have ever worshipped in in the last two years. In other words, you have come to First Merritt Island since two years ago. Would you raise your hand? There you go. Awesome. That was a pitiful welcome to them. Would you give them a round of welcome? There you go. That's, That's the... That's the First Baptist Church I know and I love, right? God has done an amazing work among us. And we're just so grateful, aren't you? And what more will he do? There's an endless amount of work that he can do in me. And I know it's an endless amount as well for you. And may our lips give him honor and glory. You know what? Last week we were talking about Jesus taking a journey. A real journey. Sometimes we're reading God's word and we, those verses, in the matter of six verses, it can tell us about a 30-mile journey. And that's exactly what happened last week when we talked about Jesus taking this 30-mile, and do you remember how long it took them approximately? 
about 10 hours to take this incredible walk together. Jesus and his disciples from the shores of Galilee up north to Caesarea Philippi. And inside of that moment, he asked a really penetrating question. And that question was, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, because Peter was always the first to open his mouth, right? So he answered, and he answered what? Do you remember? You are the Christ. That's right. And his answer was correct, but it was only half understood, as we then found out later. What he understood, and on behalf of the disciples, all of them understood that Jesus was the conquering king. But the new revelation that Jesus brought out to them that they had not heard before was that he was also the suffering servant. He was both a conquering king and the suffering servant. And in that moment, it was Jesus' time to reveal something to them that was mind-blowing to them of what it meant to be the suffering servant. And he told them this in Mark 8, 31 and 32. This is what we talked about last week. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. In other words, he wasn't using parables. He said it clearly and plainly to them. And this morning's passage, it It's a continued part of that conversation that was happening inside of that 10-hour-by-foot journey. And Jesus takes that new revelation that he has just revealed to them, that he is both the conquering king and he is the suffering servant. He is the one of that. But he adds this new place of shock to his, his, um, his disciples. And he's describing what road the disciples must walk. If they continue to follow him. So this morning is the continued part of that same conversation. I'd love for you just to stand to your feet as we read God's word together. Mark chapter 8 verse 34. And we're going to go through the first verse of chapter 9. And this is God's word. It says, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him... Will the Son of Man be also ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels? And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. May God bless his word. You may be seated. So we're really digging into what is the disciples' journey? What is... What is Jesus saying that that is like? And this first verse is going to frame everything that we do this morning. And there is so much inside. And if we're honest, this is such an important verse for us. Because if we don't truly understand who the Messiah is, we will have wrong expectations of what the road is that we're supposed to walk, right? 
So we want to clearly understand last week who the Messiah is, and that sets us up this week that we can clearly understand what is our journey. And this first verse, um, verse 34, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For this significant moment and until this moment, Jesus has only been with his disciples walking on this 30-mile trek, 10-hour journey. But in this moment, he brings the crowds to him. The crowds have been pressing him and following him. But in this moment, Jesus says, no, come to me. This is important. And inside of that moment, he plainly tells his disciples and the crowd what is required to follow him. His invitation of, if anyone would come after me, wasn't just for the twelve. It was for all the whosoever's hearing this invitation. And we sit here this morning, you and I sit here this morning, as the whosoever's. Needing to consider both who Jesus is. And the cost of following him. Jesus gives three really pungent and hard statements. The first two are important to understand. This deny himself and take his cross. You know that we got to talk some Greek. All right. Because we don't get it if we don't. All right. Because it's important to understand that deny himself And the one that takes up his cross, both of those are a specific kind of Greek verb that indicates a once and for all decision. It's a no turning back kind of choice that we make. And inside of that, the third one, follow me, isn't the same kind of verb. The follow me is a present, active, imperative, God bless you. It's a, it is. It's a present active imperative that means that following him, that's the ongoing activity of our lives. So what that means is I make a choice to deny myself and to take up my cross. It's a one-time choice. It's a forever choice of my heart. And the ongoing activity of my heart, that 24-7, every single day part of me, is following him. Do you feel the freedom in that? (laughs) There is so much beauty and freedom how God has designed that. So let's spend this time really examining this question. And the question is, who is the true disciple of Christ? The first one is the true disciple of Christ is the one who denies self. Jesus commands, this is so big, Jesus commands a denial not of something, but of someone. And guess who that someone is? You. It's you. Jesus said, let him deny himself. The moment that faith in Christ begins within us is the same moment that a lifelong journey of denying self continues. Salvation comes at our first confession of this, no more self and yes, always Jesus. 
No more self. Yes, always Jesus. And in that moment, we are forever declaring, I am no longer the ruler of my life. And Jesus is now my life. But because we live in a sinful world, that old me that I deny and say yes to sometimes, even now, that old me wants to invite me back into that old self-loving way. Denying self is saying no. A hard no to self-love, self-righteousness, self-determination, and every other self-hyphenated word that you can possibly come up with because it seems to be they are endless, right? And inside of that, I can hear you saying in your heart, okay, that's great, Carrie, but tell us practically how that happens. How does that practically live itself in our lives? Well, if you are in this room or online and you have never trusted Christ as your Lord and your Savior, that's how. <laughs> because when you trust him, self-denial is a part of that because you're accepting Christ, receiving Christ. And to do that, you have to reject yourself. But if you're a believer in Christ, let me remind you of something you already know. That practically it means your life is fully surrendered to Jesus. Amen. Fully means everything, total, all, entirely, the whole kit and caboodle, everything. So I want you to do this for those that are believers in Christ. I want you to think back in that moment when you said yes to Jesus. In that moment, I was six years old. I don't know how old you were. In that moment, did you understand, did I understand, at, even at six years old, that I was giving my life to Jesus? Yes. yes, I did. So we never move past that moment. We stay in that place of the fullness of Christ in the emptiness of me. And we have to be really careful the more seasoned we are as a believer in Christ. We have to be very careful that we don't become the rich young ruler. That we don't say to Jesus, just tell me what you want me to do. Tell me what you want me to give up and I will do it. The one who denies self lives by the phrase that we say around here all the time. Not I, but Christ. In me. That's right. Not I, but Christ who lives in me. So remember that this command to deny self is representing a once and for all decision. A mentor of mine had a phrase that I hear in my heart almost every single day. And that is this. Life in Christ is not me trying to have victory over sin, but rather Jesus having victory over me. Would you take that in? Take it in. Because how many times in our life are we trying to get victory over sin? It doesn't work. Ours is that Jesus would have victory over me. Over me. 
That's victory. If you want to know what layers inside of your heart that you need to be denying that self, if you want to know those, you know how to do that. Ask Jesus. Just ask him. He will reveal the small things and the big things of our heart that are not like him, of him, from him, or to him. He will do it every single time because he wants to live all of him in us. And we can't, he can't do that if we are not denying self and we're letting self live. We say no to self. We say yes to Jesus. So why must denying self be a part of this following Jesus? It's because we can't save ourselves by protecting it. You cannot save your life by protecting it. Verse 35 says, For who, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Right when I read that verse, I, I started to think back on maybe one of the best jobs that I've ever had. So don't take this personally, First Baptist Church, Merritt Island. I was a lifeguard for three summers. I could tell stories and it would tell you why I loved that job. I really loved that job. But inside of that, it taught me this verse. Because as a lifeguard, I was trained to save people's lives in the water. That's what I was trained to do. But I was also trained to understand when I could save someone's life in the water. I could only save someone's life in the water if they were in trouble when they would give up. As long as they were fighting to live, I couldn't save them. And there were numerous times I can still see their expression on my face and in, in their face in my heart and my mind of the fear, of the anxiety, of the desperation, of the fight that they were doing to save their life. And there I am, five to ten feet away from them. I can't move. Because if I go to them, they're going to kill me. And if I'm dead, that's not good. No, I can't save them. They will fight their Savior. So what I have to do and what I did is I had to wait. I had to wait until they did something that was very important for their salvation. And it was that they would give up. They would stop fighting in a very kind of real sense that they would accept death. And when they did that, The moment they did that, I was able to come to them, do what I knew knew to do, and to rescue them. It was a very easy process because it required nothing of them and everything of me. I was 100% of saving people. Jesus is 100% of saving people. It is when we no longer hold to our life and fight for it to live that we can actually have life in Christ, in Christ alone. 
The second reason is because you cannot profit your soul by owning the world. This is why denying self is important. You can't profit your soul by owning the world. Verse 36 says this, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? This flesh that is within us that still echoes and remembers longs for the things of this world. But it comes at an eternal cost. To follow the world means to deny Christ. We have to make the choice. And how many things, I ask you, how many things of this world will endure the grave? Not one. Not one. But let me follow that by saying, how much time and energy do you afford your mind, your will, and your emotions to be spent on the pursuit of worldly things? We think we own the world, but in actuality, the world is owning us. I want you to read this out loud with me. If you'll look at the screen, Philippians 3, 7 through 9, that this could become and be our testimony in this place. Read it out loud with me. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. What a glorious exchange that is. So who is a true disciple of Christ? It's the one who denies self. But it's also the one who takes up and makes the commitment to take up their cross. I want you to get your word out, and it may be on an iPad, it may be in um, paper form. I want you to circle or highlight the word cross in verse 34. Like, I'm watching you. Circle the word or highlight the word cross is significant. And here's why I've had you do this. Listen, it is the first time that the word cross is used in the book of Mark. Exactly. And it's also will not be used again until chapter 15 when it is the actual cross of Christ. So I believe that this is a very significant, strong statement that Jesus is making on the edge of Caesarea Philippi to his disciples and all of those whosoever wills. Of stating plainly the reality and the clear expectation to us who follow Jesus. And it is incredibly significant that the cross that he is referring to right there is not his own cross that will be on Golgotha. It's mine and your cross that we will carry. Because the true disciple of Christ... I'm adding a word to this belief statement. I did this this morning. Understands and embraces the cross. Sometimes I think we embrace a cross that we've defined ourselves. But when we understand the Savior, we understand his cross. 
And so it embraces, the true disciple of Christ understands and embraces that Christ cross. So let's be reminded about what the real cross represented in that day. And the Roman cross was cruel punishment. It was a cruel punishment tool for suffering, humiliation, and death. Say those three words with me. Suffering, humiliation, and death. Say it one more time because you need to know this. Suffering, humiliation, and death. And because of Jesus, the cross we carry is an excruciatingly wonderful. You know, I love that phrase. It's an excruciatingly wonderful thing to bear. 1 Peter 4, 13 and 14 says this. But rejoice insofar as you share in the sufferings, Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The second one, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, humiliation, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And I tag to that Romans 6, 5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So the cross that we carry, that we decide for that once and for all moment, that we make that decision, that as we're following him, we are carrying a cross. Would you just put that as a visual That all the believers, just take this room, all the believers in Christ that are following Christ are following so with a cross. That's a powerful statement. That's a death march, right? (laughs) What a visual that is. And doing so in hope, not in despair. Doing so as those that have been received, not as those that have been condemned. With joy, we keep taking the next step, anticipating yet again him to do what only he can do. And he can only do what he can do if we're carrying our cross. Because we're saying we can't and we won't. But you will. So when we carry that cross, it represents that we, you and me, have committed our lives to share in Christ's suffering. It means that we have committed our life to share in Christ's humiliation. It means that we have committed our life to share in Christ's death. So why would we want to take up a cross that's required inside of this following of Jesus? Verse 37 Helps us to understand that. It's because you can't purchase redemption for your own soul. For what can a man give in return for his soul? The cross that we carry represents our decisive decision and commitment and full surrender to the one who paid our redemption with his own blood. Do you understand The worth of your soul. Your soul is worth more than gold. And it's not because of what you do. 
It's because of how you've been created. You have been created in God's image. He was redeeming his own when he sent his son. And because God's word says that there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Why? Because sin demands death. And because of that, God sent his only son and gave his holy blood for all of our unholy lives. And it was God the Father that said, I accept the blood of my son as the final and the only needed payment for our sins. So the cross that we carry is not one of blood. It is one of a living sacrifice following after Christ. And as we read this command and we hear, take up your cross, sadly, you and I both hear it in a very domesticated kind of a way. We don't drive up and down Courtney Boulevard with crosses on the side of the road with criminals hanging on it. Instead, we see crosses on church buildings like ours that was renovated two years ago. We see crosses on jewelry of all kinds and we see crosses on coffee mugs and we see crosses in Hobby Lobby's full display. And that's great. There's no judgment here. But these disciples and these crowds heard it in a very raw and a very real way. They understood the brutal meaning of the cross. This wasn't figurative language for them, but it was a daily reality of Rome's brutal punishment. And as bad as it was in the days of his disciples, it was even worse for the first generation of Christians who were in Rome. Let's pause, and I want us to look at this verse in light of the people who this verse was first sent to. Mark wrote his gospel, not to the Jewish men and women and children, but he wrote his gospel to the Gentiles primarily, in Rome, first generation Christians in Rome. And this is a, Mark is believed to be the first gospel written. So the first gospel written goes to the first generation Christians in Rome. Jesus died and resurrected in that 30 to 33 AD time span, depending on when we date his birth. And in that time, Nero comes, um, is born and was the emperor of Rome, became the emperor of Rome at a very early age. And he was emperor of Rome from 54 to 68 AD. Ten years into his reign, he does something unthinkable. Many historians believe it was Nero who set the flames on his own city that burned down 80% of Rome. And many historians think they know why. To build a new extension of his own domain and castle and dwelling places. 
But he started to get some pushback, obviously, from that moment. And so he needed a scapegoat. And there was a new rising religious sect among him that caused him some concern. And so what did Nero do? He just pointed the finger at the Christians. And when he did that, it became all-out persecution in ways that are unthinkable to us. It became taking those Christians and putting them as game and folly in lion's battlefield to become the playground of lions. It was tarring the Christians, setting them on fire in his courtyard as if they were candelabras. And it was also crucifying them. The Christians are hiding in the catacombs, fearing being caught and subject to only what our worst nightmares could imagine. But I want you to imagine what it was like for these Gentile believers in those catacombs to receive this first written record of the life and ministry of Jesus. Can you imagine them gathering around and someone reading out loud for their first hearing the full account of Jesus' life and passion? They were believers, so they knew the gospel, but not the fullness of the story. And so with that in place, I want you to imagine the first time they read this verse. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It reads a little different, doesn't it? I can imagine them hearing that and going, we have chosen to deny ourselves. We we have chosen to take up a real cross and look at each other and go, we're following Jesus. We're we're doing exactly what he is telling us to do, but we're doing it before we even knew to do it. I imagine the thrill. We read those verses and think of all the loss, all the hardship, all how that is just a hard, hard thing. And it is. But I think for these that were in this kind of scenario, they read it in a completely different way. I would think that they read it with a thrill and a joy and a peace deep within their soul, maybe a part of their soul they had not attached to in a very long time because they are saying, we are following Jesus just like he said. That they would say to each other, he suffered and was rejected and died just like he said. And he resurrected just like he promised. And we, in these catacombs, we are going to follow him in his suffering because we know that if we follow him in his suffering, that we will follow him in his resurrection, just like he said. 
on this island, we are not hiding away in catacombs. We are in a beautifully two-year-old renovated worship center. We have not entered the doors fearing someone is going to pull us out and send us to the lions. And we sure have not feared on this morning when we woke up whether or not ourselves or someone we knew and loved would be hanging on a cross because of their faith. But the command is still the same for us today. It is the same as it was for the disciples who heard something that they did not yet know. Christ had not died. He had not resurrected yet. They did not fully understand the fullness of that. The first generation Christians did have a fuller understanding. We have even a fuller understanding of what this means. And he is saying to you and me and everyone that is viewing online, he is saying to us this morning, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Who is the true disciple of Christ? He is the one who denies himself. The one that takes up his cross and follows Jesus. And why would we follow Jesus? We follow Jesus because Jesus is our life's reason, our confidence, and our hope. Read out loud with me, 2 Timothy 1.12, as your own testimony. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. The disciples, Paul, who wrote that, the first century Christians... They all experienced the greatest loss ever, which was themselves, in order to experience the greatest gift ever, which is Jesus. Our passage this morning, it concludes with two revelations of Jesus. He's just in chapter 8, it's just this chapter of revelations that he's handing out of new things that they had not heard before. And it's the last two verses. It's the last verse of chapter 8, the first verse of chapter 1. And I want to look at the last, the first first verse of chapter 9 first, all right? And inside of that, Jesus does this. In Mark 9, verse 1, it says this. And Jesus was saying to them, those that are in front of him, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God After it has come with power. This is a new revelation to them. And they would have no idea what I think the meaning of this verse means. Because what he's saying is what they've been crying out for the whole time, right? Overtake Rome. We want the conquering king. And it's like they're going, okay, are you saying that now? Are you not saying that now? But I believe what Jesus is really saying to these people that actually did come true is that in the context of this, I think Jesus is not talking about his second coming. I think he is talking specifically about the coming death that he has been talking about, his burial, his resurrection that he has been talking about, and then his return to walk among them for 40 days prior to his ascension. 
He was telling them that their eyes, some of their eyes would live long enough to understand and to see the suffering servant become the conquering king and his kingdom beginning. And some of them did. The other revelation is this, and this is where we will end this morning. You cannot experience eternal life if you deny Jesus. Mark 8, 38 says this, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of the Father with the holy angels. Last week we talked about a different kind of moment, right? We talked about a moment that we do not need to fear as believers in Christ. We talked about a moment that we will all stand before Jesus alone. Not with family, not with friends, not with um, character witnesses. Alone. And that is going to be the most peaceful, secure no fear kind of a moment that we've ever experienced in our life. Because it's going to be in that moment that I think that we realize in a way that we have never known before that my life is Christ. I don't have anything to say except all I have is Christ. That's all I have. But there is another moment that happens that this verse is referring to. And that is for those that don't know Jesus. They will not stand in that same kind of way. For they can't say, all I have is Christ. What they say is, I rejected Christ. Or Jesus says, you rejected me. I don't know you. So inside of that reality, there becomes this moment of understanding that to be ashamed and to refuse Jesus and his word and his gospel now, that it has an eternal consequence to that. That eternity of separation from him and it will be le- you will be left with that death will never end for you. But the opposite is also true. And that is that to place your faith in Jesus And to follow him now also has an eternal consequence. And that eternal consequence is eternity with Christ, in Christ, and the gain of a life that will never end. So in its most simplest way, I want to close this morning with the two burning questions that these, this journey of 30 miles and 10 hours and for us, two Sunday mornings. Who do you say Jesus is? Your answer to that question has an eternal consequence. And the second question is, Will you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come in this moment, and I just want to give you, Holy Spirit, just a moment that...
the hearts in front of me and online aren't hearing my voice but yours. So, Lord, would you take those two questions and would you deal with all of our hearts in the individual way that you can? you to do your work in us. We ask that you would open our eyes, that we would not be that blind man that could not see you. We would not be the blind eyes of the Pharisees that are standing in their own self-righteousness. But instead, Lord, our eyes would be open to the true Messiah that you are, that you are the conquering king who is also the suffering servant. And because of that, you are inviting us to walk with you. And you only walk in one kind of a way. So, Lord, in this moment, I pray our hearts would say yes to you and no to ourselves. In this moment, I pray that we would see the beauty, the excruciating wonder of sharing in words like your suffering, your humiliation, and your death so that our lips can taste the goodness of your resurrection power Thank you that all of your promises are yes and amen. And we pray that we would live a life that is following you in such a way that we would be the living sacrifice, honoring, glorifying, and living for you and you alone. Before we say amen at the end of the service, after we sing a song just of celebration and worship of our King, Our pastors and our prayer partners will be down front and we would love to have a conversation with you. If your heart is stirred to know him, it would be our greatest joy and delight to be able to walk you through that and point to him and him alone. We'll be down front at the end after the song to celebrate with you.